Hi, everybody. This is Patty Negri. Welcome to the Witching Hour, that hour of the day when magic happens, whenever it is you're turning in. I have a great, great guest for you today, a very male guest. I have Tomas Prower, warrior magic. Yeah, this ain't goddess and angels. This is warrior magic. So, but before we bring on Tomas, and I can't wait for you to meet him. Where's Patty? Where's Patty? Where's Patty? Well, I actually just got back from the Vampire Weekend. So if you are tuning into this on the first week we first drop, which is Monday, February 21st-ish, Happy Valentine's Day. I hope you had a good one, whatever it was. Um, I'm sure we had a fabulous vampire ball and wedding of Father Sebastian, WitchCon. I just did WitchCon Christian Days, three days of speakers all online. I'm sure we were fabulous. I'm sure we were. Time and space moves in the witching hour, as you know. Um, but as far as this week, I am in L.A. for another week or so. Tuesday, I am continuing my mediumship course. Even if you haven't started it already, you can jump in at this one and you can get the first two videos and watch them. Because if you really are developing and want to develop your mediumship, this is I'm going to start an advanced three-week course. And this is about the most affordable, most hands-on, you're gonna be able to talk to dead people by the end, all on Zoom class. So check out universitymagicus.com, my school, um, Tuesday night mediumship course. Sunday, I am teaching a class on Wicca, witchcraft, and paganism. A lot of people get really confused. What is a witch? Are you Wiccan? Does a Wiccan mean witch? Does that mean you practice magic? Yes, I'm going to explain everything. I'm going to explain the difference in what a traditional British work, craft worker is versus what Wicca, the modern day Wicca is, versus ceremonial magic, versus chaos magic, and what it means to be any of these things without judgment or telling you to be them. Just this is what the differences are and this is what they are. That's next Sunday. Should be really fun. We're going to talk about the Wheel of the Year and the Sabbaths and the pagan holidays or the anybody who follows the Earth thing. So that is Sunday. Also, Friday, if you are near your YouTube or a podcast or whatever, I'm going to go to Ventura, short trip, to be on No Cover with my friend Stefan Brigatti. Um, he's a great paranormal investigator. He um, he's lived, he works in this beautiful haunted theater in Ventura. We're going to do a bunch of stuff there. Um, but this is his show, No Cover, and that's going to be really fun. So join us there, No Cover, Stefan Brigatti. Um, other than that, I am in town. But it is time to get your tickets for Festival of the Unexplained. Because who does not want to go to Bosworth Hall in the UK? I do. That is March 10th through 14th. I think 10th through 12th is the festival itself. I'm going to spend a couple extra days there. It looks like this big, beautiful, haunted place. And it's a spa at the first best time. So what do you want to do? Hunt ghosts and then go to a spa treatment. I can't wait. So join me. It's called Festival of the Unexplained, uh, Bosworth Hall in the UK. It's on all my social media. And that's it. I am in town. <laughs> Hi, everybody. It is time for my favorite time of the day and Willow's favorite time of the day. It is time for the Willow Report. And look it, it almost looks like she's looking at the camera, isn't it? It almost really does. It's because she's looking at a candle that's right in front of her. You gotta do what you gotta do, but I just needed to light up that pretty little face. So actually we're gonna tie in the Willow Report with this week's magic, which is about animals and animal familiars. This is gonna be real life 
animal protection for willow. Um, you know, we love our babies, cats, dogs, hamsters, all of the different things. But what do we do to protect them? Of course we do. You get their shots that you need to do. She's chipped. You take them to the vet regularly. She always has a tag that has our phone number of where to take her. But all you magical people out there, make sure you take care of your puppies magically. I have to show you, it might be too little. She has a brand new little pentacle. Hey, where is it? Just like her mama's. Wait, oh, of course you're not gonna see it. You're gonna hide it? Look at that. It looks just like her mama's little pentacle. And I charged it with protection for her. It's a, you know, it's the five elements, earth, air, water, fire, spirit. And so she's extra protected. And another thing that's really good, especially you urban folks, if you live, I've just got this one to put on her. If you live where there's a lot of electrical wires and stuff, organite. I don't know if you guys know what it is. It's this weird modern thing. It's, it looks like plastic with metal and crystals in it. And that's kind of what it is. It's poured resin or plastic and it's got different kinds of metal and copper and little crystals and stones. And it really takes away all the weird stuff that they say like 5G takes and electronic things take. I've seen like dogs who are crazy inside houses mellow out completely just from a little piece of organite or you could put a little like a little statue of one or a little pyramid in the house it takes away all the wi-fi crazies that animals can get um again work within your belief system this is a little saint anthony protect my pet thing right there if you know if you're into crosses have a cross have a star of david have a pentacle like she does um protection sigils you could write them on little things like the helm of awe i'm so popular with so remember to magically protect your pets just like you physically do, because we have to do it on both realms and so do they. And now we have matching necklaces, huh, Willow? Look how good she's being today. What is this? Who is this dog? Okay, look at the camera one more time. Look at the camera one more time, Willow. <gasps> yeah, look at that. First time on cue, I better quit while I'm ahead. This is the Willow Report. Protect your babies. Bye. So let's talk magic, shall we? This week, magic. I thought I would talk about animal magic, and I'm even going to do it in my Willow Report a little bit because animal magic. But let's talk about animal familiars because people go, oh, that's my familiar. Now, are you talking about your witch's cat or your little dog, your little dachshund? Or are you talking about your totem animal, your power animal? I am wolf. I am, I am owl. I am a dolphin. Yes, yes, and yes. There are actually three different kinds of, in my experience, in my understanding, in my education, three different kinds of animal familiars. Yes, number one is that that's my pet cat, that's my pet dog. They are my pet owl, my pet hamster, my pet snake, my pet whatever that is. They are like regular pets, but a little bit extra. They kind of can psychically communicate with you. There's lots of little telltale signs that an animal might be your familiar, like whenever you're doing magic or ritual or even meditating, there shows up your cat. There shows up your dog. If you're doing spell working or working, there shows up your cat. There shows up your dog. And they are right there with you. Um, also, they seem to like the elements. They're not so afraid of lightning and thunder in places that actually get lightning and thunder. Um, you can communicate. That they are literally there to help you. And the reason cats are so popular, which is cats, is 
anybody who knows that animals do see through the other side. They can see spirits and ghosts. You really want to know if there's ghosts or spirits in your house, check out what your dog or your cat or your whatever else is doing. Are they staring at nothing at the window? No, probably not. They're probably staring at something, whether it's a portal, whether it's a spirit. Um, they're able to communicate. And cats, even more so. That's why there's always been the classic witch's cat familiar. They work with you in magic. They help you navigate through the realms. So that's a beautiful kind. And they usually find you. You might go to the pound and they find you at the pound and you're collecting them. They might show up at your doorstep. They're, but they usually are like magically sent to you. Um, there's some really nice things you can do to tune in to your little familiar. One of my favorite things is a little chant and it's a little meditation with your animal. Get on that level, whatever it is, either put them up on a table or you get on the floor and you get your eyes to eyes with them. Get eyes to eyes, match their breathing with them if you can, like, you know, within reason of whatever kind of an animal it is, if you have a great big Great Dane or a little dachshund or you have a hamster, they might breathe differently, but try to match up eye to eye, breath to breath. Now imagine yourself just going into their mind. Imagine they are going into your mind and say something like this, my heart to your heart, nerve, bone, and spine, my mind to your mind, your vision is mine. I look through your eyes, you look through mine. Between us, we know things beyond both our kind. All of a sudden, you're going to start seeing a little more like a dog does or a cat does or your parakeet does. You will really tune into this. It's really good for no, they know when you don't feel good. You know that you know when they need to cheer you up and you can tune into them a little bit better, too. So that's familiar. Number one, living animals, familiars. Familiar number two is more the power animal kind, the totem animal, like Native American people who crow, hawk, the people like, I'm into dolphins, I'm an Atlantean, or the people, you know, the wise owl, the wolf, the, the bear. And those animals, they're usually kind of given to you by spirit as well. It could be a lifelong attraction to owls, bears, wolves, snakes, whatever it is, this kind of connection that you don't know. Everywhere you go, you see them. And if you're in the urban city, you're seeing a picture of this owl. You're seeing a billboard of this thing. You're drawn to it. That is an animal, a power animal for you that usually you need the lessons from that animal. Maybe it's a jaguar. You need the sleuthiness of a cat. And that's part of your qualities. So these are qualities to enhance in you. And it's giving you these literal spirit animals to help you with it. Um, and if I had you raise your hand right now and if I could see you like I do in my classes, you guys would all go, yeah, and you would tell me who your spirit animal is in the realm of spirit animal. A lot of you have cats, a lot of you have dogs, a lot of you have totems. Look at the Native American Indian totem and there'll be a bear and then there'll be an owl and then there'll be a beaver and then there'll be a So you may have many different animals and sometimes they will come and go into your life, but learn the lessons. It's really easy to look up. There's lots of books on it. You could talk to Google, Siri, Alexa, what is the spiritual meaning behind owl or whatever that is? And you'll go, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> That's what it usually happens. Or like, I really need that or I really have that. So that's animal familiar number two. And animal, animal familiar number three, those are the kind we create ourselves. We create spirits all the time. So the ones that you guys are probably most familiar with are dragons. That's an animal. That's a 
spirit familiar. We put spirits, we create spirits all the time. So whether you're putting, here's one way that I actually do it. Wait, where'd it go? I do protection. I create spirit animals for my real living spirit animal. Yes, there's crossover there. Like um, we're gonna talk about protection for living animals in my Willow report. But another thing to do within your magical world is create a spirit animal to protect your real animal. Get a little statue. You could get these little inexpensive, this is a little stone crystal statue of a dog. Maybe it's a howling wolf, but for me it's my little dog right there. Or get a little toy. This is a little you know, plastic paper toy. This is my willow. I am creating a magical spirit to protect my little willow. I actually have one for my cat. I have one for willow. I have one for the crows I feed. I have one for the squirrels I feed. I line them up. It's like, you guys take, you guys keep them protected. It's like a magical little protector. So those self-created ones, those are just for protection, but dragons, those of you who work with dragons or other animals that you want to create, those are your power animals. You can send your dragons out to do your bidding, to work for you. Give me energy when I need energy. Give me a job opportunity when I need that. So remember, familiars come in many styles, shapes, and sizes. And some of us have all three of them. So living familiar, it's your it's your little kitty cat, it's your little doggy. Now, not all pets are your familiars. You're going to really know the difference. You might have two or three cats and you know which one is your familiar. And that's okay. Just having plain pets, that's okay too. But your living familiar, your power totem familiar, and your created familiar, whether it's to protect the ones that you have, or to give you a dragon or some other serpent or another beautiful being to take you out. So magic, animals, familiars, go get some. They're everywhere. And without further ado, I am so happy and excited to introduce to you Tomas Prower. Let's see what warrior magic is, shall we? This week I've got some really good magic for you. I have got Tomas Prower. Tomas is the award-winning Latinx author of books on multicultural magic and mysticism, including queer magic and morbid magic. Fluent in English, French, and Spanish, he previously served as the cultural liaison between France, the United States, and various nations in South America, which allowed him to live and work all over the Western Hemisphere, including Buenos Aires, Santiago de Chile, Tijuana, Reno, Las Vegas, and the Amazon jungle. Tomas is a licensed mortuary professional and former external relations director for the American Red Cross. A man of many hats. I love that. He currently lives in his hometown of Los Angeles, just like me, meet fellow native. Hi, Tomas. Thank you so much for coming on. Hello, hello. It's good to be here. Exciting. It's 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 weird when you hear your life story played back like that. Isn't it, it's I sounds, know, I know. You don't it's realize so like, everything you do until it's told to you. Then it's like, wow. Wow. So you have this beautiful book out called Warrior Magic, right? Warrior Magic. So Warrior show Magic. everybody your book. So, um, and, and it's about it, it says right there, justice, spirituality, and culture from around the world. So tell me a little bit, how did you even get there with that? I know you've obviously lived around the world. Um, so how did this book come about? It's really the the next in my series of around the world books because I've, ah. you know, I've been a globe trekker for so long. I have so many connections that when I write books, I really like to 
involve the worldwide community because it's one thing to have someone you know living in like los angeles write about these are how these cultures practice these different kinds of magic or different kinds of religion and spirituality but it's another thing when you actually have those people contribute to the book and i didn't see many of those so i wrote queer magic about the magic of queerness around the world morbid magic what are the afterlife beliefs around the world and this is the next one warrior magic which is really justice spirituality war and revolution around the world Again, it, and this was before 2020, around 2019, I was actually going to pitch a different book, which shall remain nameless because it might come out in the future. But I just had this inkling like, no, I'm. this needs to be told. There's something happening. And then 2020 came along and the book was just greenlit. Like, yes, this is very to the point. It's apropos. And it focuses on things that I felt were really missing in books with, you know, magic. Because a lot of times, you read a book on magic or spirituality and they teach you spells, but a lot of them are very passive, very non-aggressive. You know, forgive thy enemy, turn thy cheek. Here's a calming spell for everyone. I was like, no, we need spells that go for the jugular and your enemies right now. And because there are people who are dying under the boot of oppression because people are too uncomfortable with getting dirty. And like I always, I always like to say, you know, a knight in shining armor is just a knight who's never had his metal nor his metal tested. A real knight is in the fray, in battle, saving the lives of people that need to do. You're not going to keep your armor clean, nor is it going to be shiny, only if you sit outside and do nothing. So this is the book that gets you in the action. What are people around the world doing spell-wise to help enact social justice and revolution on the ground level? And stories that need to be told. That is beautiful. So how did you, and I want to get into all of that, but how did you get into the magical world? What was your path to get here with that? Uh, I grew up as a Latino Catholic is really my magical explanation. Because <laughs> as many people, um, Catholics, hardcore Catholics like to deny it, Catholicism is super magical. We have a pantheon of saints that you kind of go to, each with their own sphere of magical help. You know, if you lose your keys, talk to St. Anthony. You have something you really need, talk to this saint, talk to that saint. So really the kind of polytheistic view of the world, plus the feminine aspect of Virgin Mary, I kind of grew up in that. And I had the real fortune of growing up, you know, in Los Angeles. I went to Catholic school all my life um, until college. And I remember when I was in high school, all boys private Catholic high school in Los Angeles, and we were taught world religions. We were taught how the gospels were written for different audiences in mind. We were taught that queerness was okay. We had openly queer monks teaching us. It was very, yes, very California Catholic education, which got me interested in all around the world and the magic because we were forced to study it in high school. In our religion class, we had to read The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho and other spiritual tinged books, you know, from Brazil. So it was... I had a good upbringing, so I have to take most of the credit to the environment for that, getting me interested in fostering my love of around the world and culture. And as you, you know, as my background, you know, I pursued it. I wanted to go to those places, do the things, and I learned more of the magic and learned more of just the different ways people interact with the energies of the world. That's how I really got into it. That. That is beautiful. So what are some of the differences? I know you talked that the book is about to, to inspire and to, uh, to, to, for us to step in because we need to be not a passive world, as you were saying. So what are your, some of your stories or what different cultures do? Is there a big difference? Oh, yes. There's huge differences, especially because the book covers from pre-civilization to nowadays. So the way we've done it, the way different cultures have done it, 
varies tremendously, but it's it's really interesting to see a lot of the commonalities between things because when you have usually the same oppressive forces are the same thing, no matter the nuances of it, like race or different kinds of the way people look, it almost always comes down to class hierarchy and money. Um, wealth is the biggest divider. And I can see, you know, from living here in Los Angeles, um, very true story. If you have rocking, walking down Rodeo Drive, you could be a person of any skin color, any demographic. But if you have a million dollars in your wallet walking into a store, you'll be treated just perfectly. Doesn't matter your skin color. It's how much can you spend? How much is your money can buy? Money is your worth. And it's been like that since time immemorial. So it's always been a it's always been the lower classes and the oppressed economically going against the larger ones um, who have all the power. But it's like some specific examples that I can really think of um, with war. One that was really different was it's very familiar for, especially us living in California, the Aztec culture of Mexico, where war and sacrifice was very common. I mean, literally just to have existence continue in the sunrise, there had to be sacrifices. But the biggest people the most honored people in society were the warriors, were the fighters. So you got into this weird situation of their whole society being built upon warriors, but needing to sacrifice warriors. Because if you're going to make a big human sacrifice to the gods or, or the greatest god, the sun god, it's, are you going to give some nameless nobody? Or are you going to give the best that you can give to them? To them was the warrior. So they had war games, flower wars, people pretending to be in war just so they can create situations to be captured. And their whole mentality of it is better to be, it takes more talent to capture than it takes to kill was always interesting. But the real fascinating thing was that they weren't very gender specific of it. It wasn't just the men going out to war who got all the praise in their society. Other women too, especially in, and it could be used as a way to give birth and have more population, but they were given out and yet you could accept warrior status by giving birth to children. Dying in childbirth was the ultimate honor, you know, quote unquote, for, for a woman back then. But it just how it permeated the society to where it was not a good thing. It was not a bad thing. It just was. And so there were constant, unfortunately, revolutions against them because they constantly needed a blood supply. And Lord, I can go on and on about that. But there's so many things from all over the world of different examples um, like the, the famous Spartans from 300, the one that everyone knows about, the red cape, chiseled abbed warriors looking like Gerard Butler in his prime, yeah, going yeah. for everything. Um, yes, it really existed, but the Spartans were also the largest slave owners in all of ancient Greece. They couldn't exist without slavery. They're the most brutal ones. So you have these situations where history is honoring people as liberators. <sighs> when they're actually the biggest slave owners around and the magical revolutions and plans of um, their, the people that they enslaved against the Spartans, that's where the true magic comes in. So and that's, that's fascinating to me. Um, so you have to know a lot about history as well as culture and, and then putting this, how much do, do people in there put spirituality as to what they're doing. How much of it is blamed on God or gods or given to God or gods, not all blamed? How much of it is conscious or not within there? It's a lot of it is very conscious. Um, but when war happens, especially in the olden days, you know, it was for religious purposes, or at least it was for religious purposes that the generals told the people that it was going to be. 
So in, in since time, even nowadays, in, in recent history, religion is a big motivating factor for war, for power. So even in this book, it's a weird conflict of religion is what brings about the peace, but it also brings about the war. And you have, it goes into situations of atheist cultures where do they have just as much war? Do they have not just as much war? What is the, how do you practice magic in that way? And um, there's actually- Do they? Oh yes, oh yes. War is something we carry within us as human beings. It is not, we like to blame the times, we like to blame the governments, but war is within us. We breed it no matter what we think or believe. But war is very, very spiritual. And it's most spiritual to the most disempowered, I would say, because you have, the best example is, you know, the Atlantic slave trade that happened all over the new world. You have these enslaved peoples from Africa who have absolutely no power. You know, if they're wronged in any way, just by, aside from, you know, being enslaved, they have no recourse. They have no power. They have no sovereignty over their own bodies. So how can they possibly go against something? How do they keep up hope? And their faith and their spirituality and their magic is the way they did it. Because they might not, the, the slave master might be power more powerful than them, but they have in touch contacts with the divine, with divinities that overrank the slave master in which they could circumvent the system. Um, different rituals they would hold to try and empower them. Rituals to both become um, sort of, I would say godlike, but I use that very loosely in the sense of being ridden by spirits in certain voodoo cultures in Santeria to have be a vessel for the divinities, something that their oppressors could not be. And there was always interesting ways of, circumna of circumnavigating, of circumventing the system to do it. Wow. So what about modern days now? Like you said, crazy world that we have going on now. How much is magic, uh, the way we talk about magic, a part of this whole war, spirituality, crazy places we are? It's a lot. It's a lot, a lot. More so on the ground level um, and resistance and... Um, kind of street activism level because if any any day you go to any um protest if you go before the protests um the day before maybe a couple hours you'll see the very witchy people out there first the very magically inclined pagan community and they'll be out there blessing the space whether to amplify the voices for protection against the police leaving little trinkets of offerings to if it's a public city plaza to the steps of government houses little trees in a park and making sure that the avatar of the city space protects the protesters and mitigates as much damage as possible. So it happens, but it's not seen. But it's not seen because it's not meant to be seen in a way. Because if if that kind of action starts getting police attention beforehand, those efforts get mitigated. Because then you'll just have people, you know, the pagan community beaten by cops um, before the protest instead of during it. So it's... Yeah, it happens all the time on a very grassroots level. And again, the most disenfranchised are the most magical because they cannot go through the court system that's stacked against them. They don't have the money to buy their way to justice. They don't have the power, the connections, and, but they have a connection to the divine, a connection to God or however they interact with the other side of the world. And they use that as much as they can because it's what they have. Uh oh, I can't really hear you right now. 
Sorry, I muted myself. There was a dog barking. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Sorry. So speaking of all these cultures and then going into the pagan, yes, those witches show up. The witches show up before things and they're blessing things and they're doing all these things, you know, behind the shadows sometimes. So how did you hone into the pagan community being raised a good Catholic boy, other than they have so much in common. <laughs> the frankincense, the myrrh. The <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, really, it was indirectly through Llewellyn. Um, this, the story with that is um, I was, I got really into, and I still am, uh, but my spiritual brace that I always wear, uh, being a devotee of La Santa Muerte, you know, but very underground, very Los Angeles, you know, the, the, the temples here and the strip malls that are really fronts for other businesses. Um, but just going with Santa Muerte and really I wanted to write a book about La Santa Muerte because this was way back when, when there really wasn't any English language information on her other than sensationalist headlines saying, you know, these narcos are coming with death saints and this really scary stories. So I wanted to write a story and Llewellyn gave me the contract to write it. I actually did not know too much about the pagan community um, before that. But in becoming a Llewellyn author and, you know, going to the the different events, going to the signings, the core audience of Llewellyn is very heavy, a pagan community. And so they really taught me, the community taught me and said parallels between La Santa Muerte and between different things. And so I listened and I learned and I got more into it that way, too. That's fabulous. So we're going to have to talk about that, too. <laughs> so what is your, your kind of almost uh, takeaway, but in this being about inspiring and looking at all the other cultures, how can we bring that into our day-to-day -day life wherever we live? My, you know, our, our people here right, li listening, watching The Witching Hour everywhere and in all sorts of different places. Right. So it's like we're sitting here now. So So what? The small things really matter. You don't, although it's helpful to go up and, you know, be involved in a good protest, you know, join the Black Lives Matter movement and do all that. That's great. And you need people help doing that. But if you played any like video games or, you know, Dungeon Dragons games, not everyone can be the warrior. You need the healing cleric clerics. You need other people to do their part. And it can be very small, such as you're on the bus and someone makes a remark, you know, a very racist, sexist, any kind of ist remark towards someone. Be the person who says that's not cool. Very simple as that. When you're going to make give money or buy something, spend the extra five dollars to not get it from Amazon, you know, to not get it from Tesla or people that are really horrible people. If you want, you know, if you enjoy something like J.K. Rowling's books, you know, though she's very transphobic, get her books pirated. Do not pay her to get her work. You can enjoy it without supporting her. Very, very basic levels, but never turn your back on any kind of oppression you see. It's very small or just make tiny donations if you, however you are blessed because everyone's afraid of the word privilege has gotten a very negative slant nowadays. Um, but the other side of privilege is very powerful because how can the weak fight against powerful oppression without a sense of privilege that comes with it? And what I mean by that is you have to money gets a lot of stuff done. Which one which one is the better person? Someone who doesn't care about the community that they're trying to help, but donates a million dollars to help fight the cause, or someone who has their heart in the right place, wants to help, but doesn't do anything at the end of the day, which one is making more meaningful change? So intentions don't always matter. You can feel bad, but you're feeling bad does nothing but make you feel bad. Do something, do not temper down your anger, use it. 
you know, if you believe the divine gave us all these emotions to interact with the world and interact with magic, use that anger. It's not being put in you to be ignored or poo-pooed as a bad thing. Everything's spiritual, but the small things are where to start. So are there some rules to being properly being the warrior, how to channel that? So if you're just angry, you could just be like hitting things and, you know, not using that anger right. Is there a, like a special warrior way to direct that anger into a positive outcome or a temporal action? I would say physical action is a po is a positive thing. I would not say that's negative. Um, okay. But um, a lot wouldn't agree with that. But well, uh, I just meant like you're gonna knock over the the trash can because you're angry about that over there. It versus focusing in what you're angry about. Yes. Um, it, the more you can hone it in, the more you can focus it. It does get a lot better. But it's when you focus it in. Really just trying to figure out who is the real enemy, because a lot of times when you're angry, you just lash out and you could hit the people who need your help. So really focus who is the enemy in this situation? Is it the person who actually wronged you or is it the system behind the reason why all these wrongs are being done? If you can focus your energy, um, you get the blade cut a lot better and a lot closer to the jugular because um, that's what really matters. I love that. That's warrior talk. It is, and I would say there is no wrong way to do it. Everyone has a role, and as long as you don't turn your back against the oppression and you take action and you take a stand, however your action is, you're, you know, as long as you're fighting for the right side, there is no wrong thing. The only wrong thing you can do is do nothing. I, yeah, I always say, I, I use almost that quote about making a decision. The only wrong decision is to not make one. <laughs> It's true, and it's 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 the guiding message of Martin Luther King, Desmond Tutu, who just who just passed, Elie Weissel, of the Holocaust survivor, and they said the hardest, and even my own experiences, um, in um activist groups in South America was, the the biggest enemies we've always had was never the enemy; it was the general population unwilling to help, um. Because, you know, all these things that you claim, oh, the world is so bad because of this. You know, why is politics? Why is the government like this? Why is the powers that be so powerful? It's because people don't do anything. Yeah. They are greatly outnumbered. They are greatly outpowered. Even if you're a worker, the greatest power you can do is not work. Um, so people don't accept their power, and that's very unfortunate. Right, right. They, they, let they let people take it away from them. Yes. You have to, yep, if you yes. take responsibility, then at least you're taking back the victim part, because we are made to be victims quite often. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. So um, what are some of the biggest misunderstandings when people say, warrior, be angry, speak up? You know, people are going to go, oh, you're just a troublemaker or whatever. So what do you think some of the misunderstandings that people have about the warrior way of life and stepping into it in an inspirational get things done way um i would say people like to blanket things like trouble like that but really again the martin luther king approach you got to get into good trouble there's <laughs> different kind there's different kinds of trouble you can get into and the way the world is really structured it's preventive no one's going to teach you the information you need to um really take back your power Society is set up in a way to keep you small and keep you weak. So you have to do something outside the box. And if anyone says, oh, well, that's not right, you shouldn't do that, they're trying to keep you in the box. It's the crabs in the pots pulling you back down. Because our society is very strange. And it, this is true with societies around the world now, as I've, as I've found out. 
as long as the water is warm and comfortable going up to the boil, no one wants to do anything. Is it easier? Feeling angry is uncomfortable. And people think that because that feels uncomfortable, it's bad or it's wrong. But no, even St. Augustine, you should say, you know, the greatest anger is the father of hope. Oh, no, I'm getting it wrong as they blank right now. But basically, as I try to paraphrase St. Augustine, um, as bad of guys he was, you know, you have to be angry because you have to be angry at the way things are in order to be able to change it. If you're not angry, then ain't nothing going to change. So really de-shaming anger and realizing those aren't negative emotions. And there is good trouble you can get into, good trouble you need to get into, and really getting used to feeling uncomfortable because it's so much easier to watch the world burn on our computer screens as long as we have our, you know, our smartphones, we have our coffee makers, we have our televisions and all of these wonderful things that keep us very placated, keep us very yeah. comfortable, and we don't want to rock the boat. Um, but the boat is sinking. Or worse, you might survive, but there are people out there suffering and dying because you're uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. So the biggest thing I would say is check why you feel bad about it. And really de-shame your emotions when you feel something. They're very natural. They're human. We're here on this earth to be humans, not be gods. Feel your humanity and use it in a very divine and very focused purpose for the greater good. Because there are people out there who cannot. And if you have the luxury of being able to hear this, to see this, you have the technology to do it. You are blessed. Use that power. There are those who don't have it. You're right. And I like that word, de-shame. <laughs> don't you think the first step to all of that, though, is awareness, waking up? Absolutely. Isn't, Absolutely. like, large portions of this planet just asleep at the wheel? Zombies? It, it is very, very much that. And it's, it's, it's being awakened to reality. And, you know, wiser people than I have done this many times. You know, the Plato, Plato's cave analogy, the Matrix with the Wachowskis. But it's it's realizing how the world is and accepting how the world is. Because a lot of people, they see the world, but they don't like it. And so we play, cultures around the world play all these mental gymnastics in order to just get through the day to feel comfortable. Get through another day and feel comfortable. Don't want to feel bad. Don't want to feel bad. But really, you again, you have to feel bad. And you have to see how the world is. Because if you see how the world is, it will make you feel bad. You know, like people like Greta... Um, the young Greta, Greta Thunberg, I believe, um, with all the environmental activism she's doing, getting noticed, she's angry. She's yelling at these people. And she's viewed as these forces of good. You have all these people who are speaking really truth to power, but they're not whispering it. They're not going, maybe, hello, I need you to hear me. I need you to see me, please. You have to make your voice heard because they do not want you to be heard. But yeah, it's it's really good, and it's you have to do something and really be aware of things in the, an objective way, not how you want to see them, but in the objective way of how things are. Accept it, and that's how you can change it. Okay, now what about all the, um, not so much pagan world, not so much the sleep world, but like New Agers going, oh, but no, it's all love and peace. It's all love and peace. You want to be happy or content. I'm not big on content. I'm big on... Happy, can you know? I don't know. It seems boring to me. But what is your answer to that? Was that one of the misconceptions too about having a happy life? Can you be angry and happy and make changes? And 
You can. You it's it's. I wouldn't say about getting um angry, but I would say getting dirty sometimes is good. I, I mean, like if, you, if you have if you if you have a car, and it's a car you love, and you're driving it around, it's gonna need a tune up. It's gonna need oil change. You're gonna have to look under the hood because things do not stay in perfect perfection for perpetuity as long as you use it. You have your favorite computer, it'll wear down. You have your favorite clothes, it'll start to wear. Um, but if you have a needle and thread and you're willing to fix it up, get in there, you might poke yourself, you might get dirty fixing the car, but things need a tune-up. And so you're never going to be perfectly happy 100% of the time. That's not even natural if you are perfectly happy 100% of the time. Okay. You're going to run into things that make you upset, make you angry. And the best thing to do is not like, I'm not going to focus on that. That doesn't exist in my reality. I'm going to focus on the good. That might get you through the day. But it really, it's like having, it's like, again, driving a car and the meter's going down to empty of your gas. And it's like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to see that. I don't want to go to gas. I don't want to pull over. I'm going to put a happy face sticker over my gauge. Ah, I feel better now. I mean, yeah, you feel better, but really you're not addressing the problem. So feel that anger is a sign that something is wrong. Feeling uncomfortable is a sign something is wrong. You know, when you put your hand to the flame, it's going to hurt the closer you get. There is something wrong. Pull back. So... I would say those who say happiness all the time and ignoring their anger and base emotions are out of touch with their humanity, out of touch with their own signals and awareness of something is wrong. Look at it. Something needs to be fixed. I agree. So other than the, the, the love and light, everything, do you think the big issue is the not want to get dirty? That we are so visual of that, that knight in shiny armor thing going back to where we started I really do think so, because even, you know, my own experience in South America with doing things and even here now, collecting the stories from different people around the world who contributed to this Warrior Magic book, sharing their stories in it. It's a lot of uh, everyone feels bad. Everyone wants to do something. Everyone wants to help the oppressed. And that's great. But if everyone did it, it wouldn't be a problem anymore. It's a problem because people don't do things. And then the people who do do things are signaled out as, you know, shame, shame, bad, bad. Why are you rocking the boat? You know, again, with all the protests, people are upset that people are protesting because that's we should go through different means to do it. We should talk to people. Mm, if that worked, it would have been done already. And so I, I would just, yeah, it's very, very common around the world. But you, you, you again, you have to get used to being uncomfortable. You have to utilize it. I like that. So that's good. So you're on the bus. Speak up for yourself. Um, what, what is, is there a couple stories that you have before I go of things that you were really inspired by what you saw or action taken that created results or? Yes, I would say the, the big things always come to mind, like the, the French Revolution, you know, the, the American Civil War, the tattoo rebellions of Polynesia. Um, Lord, so so much more. Ashoka's change in India, which are all, all in the book, but um, it's really because, again, the people took action. And that's what, as, as I probably said a million times now, that's why it inspired me so much. Because, you know, what were the people of France going to do? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Louis, uh, Marie, we're starving. Please help us. No, think you know, the monarchies only ended because people took their pitchforks, got up and did something. Slavery ended in the United States because we fought a war against it. Um, dynasties and oppression were overthrown by violence, by anger. 
anger is the only thing that ever changed anything in this world. And it's it's very powerful and it's very uncomfortable. And people are like, oh no, I don't I don't like that. That's not true. That's not true. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You think you think Martin Luther King wasn't angry at what was happening? You think that didn't help inspire him? You think Gandhi wasn't angry at something things that were happening? Everyone was very angry, and that's the impetus to everything. So getting the action and willing to do something about it is always inspiring. And when the when the common people rise up and do something together collectively. That inspires me because we don't have that nowadays that I'm seeing. We do not have a unity of the common people. So and that is why we fail. We get inc- we get very minor changes just to placate us and stop us from smashing more, you know, Tiffany's windows and things like that. Um, no, you need bigger change. You need to do more. And that's person by person, though, right? That's each person deciding that, that they're going to do that. Uh-huh. So, so what do you think, okay, again, you said this book came out, the pandemic timing is everything. So how do you think this crazy pandemic that continues and continues affected this whole thing? Made people more aware, made people less aware, made people hide more, more angry, less? Did it affect anything or it's just, we're just going through a pandemic? Oh, no, it affected everything because a lot of times when people... It's, it's the basic tenet of any spiritual teaching. You have to know thyself. You have to get in touch with thyself. And people really stuck in indoor situations where they had to be with themselves and they couldn't hide from it. They had to deal with their own inadequacies, their own weaknesses, their own demons. And it scared people because they couldn't go out to the bar and drink it away. They couldn't go out and watch it a movie and, you know, distract themselves from it. All you could do was sit in your room, deal with your demons, and watch the world burn. And so it got many people very uncomfortable with themselves, which drives them to more anger to change or more anger at themselves, which isn't productive. But just having to focus inward and look at yourselves scared a lot of people. And then doubling on that, if you lived with someone, you had to take a hard look at this person you were living with, this person you were married to, this person you chose to spend your life with. And it made people question things. It made people look at things. It made people question entire futures. All these uncomfortable, hard questions that people just ignored. Finally, like the world was grabbing your face and focusing in on it. And it was very uncomfortable for people. And it made people do the actions that we got, some good, some negative. But it made people act because they couldn't take the anger anymore. And most importantly, they had no more distractions from it. That was the thing. We we distract ourselves all the times, but we couldn't do it during the pandemic. And so it made people act for better or for worse. Yeah, that's true. I get that. Yes. We because we no way to numb out. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. No productive way to do it. No productive way to numb out. So that this is fascinating. I'm definitely gonna get this book. So, but before we go, um, tell anybody about anything else you're doing, where they can find you, where they can get your book, if you have any events or anything like that coming up. Events oh. are kind of spotty, tricky right now. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's the, the pandemic the thing. It, yeah. But um I'd say that I do have a website, demosprower.com. But if you really want to reach out to me, social media is the best way. Send me a message on Twitter. Um, Twitter's probably the best, but I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and just reach out and contact me if you need anything. I'm here to help. The books can be found, I, I'd say, anywhere books are sold. Definitely go to your local retailers first. Um, the mom and pop shops, the witchy shops that you have. If they don't have it, they can get it for you. 
Um, Amazon will always have everything. Barnes and Nobles always have everything, but support your local community first in getting it. Um, yeah, but if you where there's a will, there's a way. So if you want to find it, you will. And this this book isn't just for me. It's from you know there's guest authors from every corner of the globe. So you'll share no matter how angry you're feeling or how uncomfortable you're feeling, you're not alone. Other people are doing it, and this is how they positively do it in a very again positive manner to make change in their own communities, in their own world at large. And it's people from major politicians and Hollywood celebrities in the book to underground activists and people um, in the low ground work. So it's it's here to help you, but you have to want to pick up the book and you have to want to ride with us. And they find you on social media, uh, social media. Is it under your name or? Yes, you can find me on all the socials on Tomas Prower, T-O-M-A-S-P-R-O-W-E-R. I think I'm the only well, I don't think I have any fake accounts, uh, people pretending to be me. But send me a message and you'll know. You'll get my answer. Right. Well, I am intrigued. I am fascinated. This is so great. We've never talked about going to the jungler before, and I love that. Um, so Warrior Magic by Tomas, Tomas Prower. As the, the song starts, the warriors are outside here in Hollywood. The warriors are outside. So thank you so much for visiting the Witching Hour. Fascinating. I really can't wait to read your book. Thank you. You guys, check it out. Check him out. He's cute, too. Ah.